computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Everyone and welcome to another edition of the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. I'm your host for the day, Tim. You know me as Cranjus McBasketball on Twitter. And today we are digging into the Lakers' first preseason game of the year. They're back. Lakers lost doesn't matter. It's it's a game that doesn't matter from a box score standpoint, from a, a win-loss standpoint. But there's a lot that we can learn, and I think there's a lot we did learn about this Lakers team. And I'm excited to talk about it just to set the stage a little bit. The Lakers played the Nets, and uh, Anthony Davis played a little bit. LeBron did not play. Russell Westbrook did not play. Carmelo Anthony did not play, nor did Trevor Ariza. And then on the Nets side of things, they were missing a whole bunch of important bodies, such as Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, uh, Blake Griffin, James Johnson, Joe Harris. There may be another one or two I'm forgetting, but they were missing a lot of dudes as well. But we still did get some decent basketball. It was a little sloppy. Uh, but for three quarters, the Lakers guys, you know, played about the same level as the Nets from a score standpoint. And we saw mostly Lakers, you know, like real Lakers rotation players were 99% of those minutes for the first three quarters towards the end of the third quarter. And then into the fourth quarter, we started to see more of the like South Bay Laker crowd get their get their chance to shine. So from quarters one to three, it was a close game. Fourth quarter, the Nets pulled away, ended up winning by like 20 or 30 points. Um, but from a process standpoint, which re- is really what we want to focus on during the preseason, there's a bunch that I'm encouraged about. I was tweeting out, uh, you know, videos and, and some thoughts, and I want to dig more into those here. There was a lot that I wanted to tweet out, but I was like, nah, I got to save it for the pod. Um, I'm excited. And watching live, I was actually at the Dallas Cowboys game for the beginning of the Lakers game, but I got to see a bit of it uh, for the second half, I believe. I think I saw it, what, no, second and third quarter. Um, but, I mean, watching live is tough. Watching live is more for entertainment, and any coach or analyst with any self-awareness or, or, or honesty is going to admit to you that they miss a good bit watching live, and they'll end up, you know, watching the film after the game and correct their misconceptions and see more that they missed, especially with defense. Uh, and so I went back to the film, rewatched the whole game, and really want to focus in on those first three quarters. We're not going to talk much about the the deeper bench guys, but I, I saw a lot I was excited about. Off the bat, I do want to say I'm not worried about sloppy execution. That's just going to happen. This is preseason. This game does not matter. I care more about like what was the team trying to do. Like, for example, the first, I don't know, three minutes of the game or something like that. The Nets ended up taking almost a 10-point lead, but and, and the Lakers weren't scoring points. But that was because they were missing shots. They were running good stuff. Uh, It was well-designed. It was using players in good ways. The execution wasn't good. The screening wasn't good. And the the shots didn't go in. But that doesn't mean, oh, no, this Lakers offense is bad. There was good intent and strong design. We just didn't see the results we wanted. So you have to separate those two. So sloppy execution, we're going to see that. Uh, Not having second or third actions set up for a play Um, after like a set doesn't work is not something I'm currently worried about. That's something that for the first game of the year, you want to have a little bit more of a plan for your mid clock or your late clock offense. But at this point in the season, 
run a set or run your action. If it doesn't work, I'm not going to be upset for the Lakers turning to AD to go isolate or something like that. As long as they're, you know, the pecking order of who's finishing those possessions makes sense. I'm okay with it. And that's what we saw from AD. I, I know a couple of folks were concerned about his like mid range jumpers. He took three on the day. Two of the three of them were after the Lakers tried to run something and just didn't get anything out of it. He had the ball eight seconds left, you know, just go to work. The third time was uh, actually a set play for Anthony Davis, where he received a down screen. He started at the block. He ran up towards the opposite elbow, caught the ball. And then the idea there is if there's a good screen set, maybe he could turn the corner and attack downhill. Maybe he has a jumper that potentially could flow into other actions with him as a facilitator from the high post. But for him on that play, it just ended up being a jump shot. Not really worried about it, but that's how he he got to his three mid-range jumpers. The last thing that just up front, I don't, I don't care about, doesn't matter to me, it shouldn't matter to you, is stuff like Wayne Ellington going two for seven on threes or other shot making things on this tiny, tiny sample. Uh, two for seven, like, doesn't it doesn't really matter. That's that's one make away from shooting like 40%. <laughs> like the, the folks in the Discord put it best. Let me see if I can find what they said about it. Uh, let me see here here it is so two for seven isn't bad with a with so few attempts you just have to swap one miss for a make and it goes from 28 percent to 42 percent that's that's going from tht to buddy healed with one shot so him going even if you want 0 for seven i don't really care about that and and bix who's in our discord uh fantastic you know really smart guy very active uh contributor and, and leader within that group Shared, he said the fact that he was able to get up seven quality looks and didn't let them the outcome affect his motion or desire to take them is more important than the result of the second seven looks. And I agree with that. You can't have guys getting too down on themselves from one game or, f- or from any sort of uh, down streak. And we saw that with some players last year. We didn't see that with Ellington in this game. And that's encouraging. And he was getting good shots off. Like if, if you were to redo those seven shots, I'm pretty sure all seven of them were pretty decent looks for him in his skill set. So I was pleased with that and shot making overall, this isn't the time to worry about that. So if I had to, so I I don't know, I don't know where to start here, man. Like this is, I was really excited. This was a great game for a lot of what I care about. And we care about here on the pod from an X's and O standpoint, this team is well, well ahead of where former Laker teams have been in the past. I don't want to get too excited because it's only one game, but this was really just a lot of little bits and pieces of things I really enjoyed. It was it was like a, a flight night, basically. Like, uh, so me and my girlfriend, we, we started, and I'm breaking rules one and two of Flight Club, but we've started a flight club where uh, we get together with some friends, and once a month, we'll, you know, for the last one, we did flights of wine and flights of steak season different ways. Maybe we'll do, I don't know, flights of coffee or soup or you really just pick whatever, but you know, you're going through that flight night and you're just trying out all these different things. And it's like, Ooh, this one tastes good. Ooh, I like this one. You know, this one pairs well with that. This one pairs well with that. And for the Lakers on the player side with, with the, uh, the steak, mm, so many good flavors, so many good, you know, individual performances and skill sets that I really enjoyed. And then how they were being used and the sets they were being used, the actions, that wine piece of it, there were some really, really good ones there and they were all paired perfectly together. And I really, really enjoyed that. 
we didn't get to see the big three all that much in this game. I mean, LeBron and Russ didn't play. AD played a bit. I thought he played well. He looked in shape. I'm encouraged by, you know, if this is the starting point for him, I'm really happy. It's, it's a much better starting point than he started last season with. Coming off the short turnaround, not quite as in shape. He's looking good now. And so we didn't get to see the big three altogether, but we did get to see the Lakers' little three which is something I am going to be referring to moving forward. This is a term, I believe it was uh, Ben Manello on Twitter and in the Discord who uh, coined the phrase, and I am going to keep using it and using it because I love it. But the Lakers' little three, uh, and, and really where I see a lot of upside with this roster, is the youthful uh, guard play that they have between Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn, and Taylor Horton Tucker. And those three dudes had themselves quite a game we saw shot creation we saw playmaking we did 13 rebounds between the three of them 34 points only five assists it's a little bit low there um but they really showed a lot of good flashes and flashes that make me feel even better about this team if there is to be an injury or or rest that's happening throughout the year these guys can step up and they're not always going to be asked to do as much as they had to do in this preseason game one, but it's good to know that they can do it when they need to. So that little three was really encouraging. Um, but let's, I mean, let's dig into some of these sets and some of these actions and some of some of what I think is really encouraging because we're used to a pretty vanilla Lakers offense. They've, you know, they've got their couple of pet plays, their couple of pet actions. They'll run something. If it doesn't work, eh, go ISO. If they're, if they're posting up and defenses are trying to, be creative and find ways to double team the post-ups. The Lakers didn't do much about it. And all these things that like, yes, you've got good players and yes, you want them to succeed, but in order to help them help elevate that performance, you can make life a little bit easier for them by scheming yourself into easier buckets. And we saw the Lakers do that from the very first play of the game. They did not score on it, but really great design. We saw a uh, pick and roll for THT with AD as the role man that was set up ahead of time by Kendrick Nunn setting a down screen for Anthony Davis so that when AD is, is running up to set his ball screen, his man, AD's man, who the, the big man in the action, isn't in position to try to do any sort of aggressive hedge. Um, they're going to be out of position. They're going to, by default, just be in a drop coverage, if anything, and that gets THT attacking downhill. As that's happening... You uh, have Kent Bazemore on the court, shooter, spacer, and he's pretty high up on the wing in a position where his man can't go tag the roller without leaving him wide open and and him being right in front of Kendrick Nunn. I'm sorry, not Kendrick Nunn, THT for a a pretty good look. So his man can't help. So AD's rolling. Uh, THT's coming downhill. The, The big man in the action has to stop THT, and that leaves the only guy left to try to tag AD as uh, Kendrick Nunn's man, who, who Kendrick Nunn just had a down screen. He's at the right block. His guy's in position, but that's a guard trying to take on AD. And as that role is happening, we also see DeAndre Jordan, who's on the court, set an exit screen for Kendrick Nunn, meaning he's uh, basically setting a screen around the right short corner for Kendrick Nunn to go from the right block to the right corner. Uh, he, he exits out the side to the three-point line. And this is such a smart play because if Nunn's man helps on AD, he's going to be wide open on that three. If uh, AD isn't open because the the big man stays with him, THG is just going to attack downhill. And he's going to be able to finish over, over you if you don't commit to him. 
And if you do stop him and you stay with none, you've got the lob to AD. Uh, it, the, the execution wasn't very good. Um, we saw an offensive foul on the screen itself. Uh, but if that play were to play out, you're probably looking at a really, really good look. And I love this because it puts AD in a position where he's rolling, which we love. We've got none as a three-point shooter. We've got THT attacking downhill with the ball in his hands, which we love, with a simple read to make. And we have DeAndre Jordan, who, non-shooter, maybe he's, you know, clogging the floor up. Maybe his man's going to be standing in the paint. He's out there. You, you know, you're leveraging the fact that he doesn't have much gravity by having him set that screen for none. So, you know, if his man tries to take away AD, none's going to be open. So that was really smart. And then you've got Bazemore also used in a smart way where, like, he's not playmaking. He's not your primary three-point shooter. But he's in a position where you have to respect his three-point shooting, just given where he's standing and what's going on. So it was just the perfect usage of all five guys. It resulted in a turnover. But just from play one, I was really encouraged by what we saw. There were a lot of individual tendencies that, like, I'd seen on film, but it's nice to see materialize and play out together in that team setting between things like Kent Bazemore relocating off ball, um, just like, let's say, you know, somebody's driving down the lane, whether it's Monk or Nunn or THT or whoever, Kent Bazemore, who is at the wing, he's going to flatten out to the corner and make himself an option. Or if you're driving towards the middle of the court from, let's say, the wing, he's going to rise from the corner up to the wing. He's going to make himself an option. He's going to put himself in positions to get away from his man and get into your line of vision. And I thought that was really smart. I love seeing DeAndre Jordan, who, by the way, you know, and we talked about it here, he is not as washed as, as he's made out to be. He wasn't a great fit in Brooklyn. He's going to be a great fit in the, with the Lakers for what they need him to do offensively and defensively. And we saw him doing, you know, he, he dropped a couple of passes. He didn't finish all that strong at the rim on a couple occasions. Uh, he's going to be a step up from a finishing standpoint over Gasol or Drummond from last year. He's no Dwight. He's not going to, you know, there are certain times where he's a stronger finisher than others, given how his footwork is and if he's running to the rim or not. You know, we saw him finish a lob with a runway. Uh, but I really enjoyed seeing him work from the dunker spot. And as a drive is happening, if he's on the right at the right dunker spot and you're driving you know, to on the left side of the court down the lane, he's not just going to stand there underneath the rim. He does a good job of if you're driving, let's say you're driving baseline, he's going to get in front of the rim and put himself in a position where if he gets a dump off, he's, you know, the bucket's right there. And by moving himself in front of the rim instead of behind it, he makes it so that his defender can't guard both him and the corner uh, kickout pass. So, just little, little smart things from him. He's there for the lob. He's there for the dump off. He's there for the offensive rebound. And he makes it so his defender can't guard two players all by themselves. So that's just a little, little tiny thing that makes a difference that we didn't see as much of last season with some of the bigs that the Lakers were playing. I love to see THT's just finishing length. And this isn't new, but it's just a nice reminder of how, how good this guy's getting and how like with how long his strides are and with how long his arms are he gets to the rim quickly and unless you're like a true rim protecting big you're not going to block his shot and if you're like keeping pace with him as a guard defender that's smaller than him you're not going to be able to block his shot so he's going to be able to get his shot off or force the big man to go commit to him which is going to open up a lot of lobs not always but a lot of lobs uh, it may not be, you know, the read that's available, but that's going to be the first read that he needs to make. So I'd love to see over the next couple preseason games, THT show us that he can make that lob pass and, and be willing with that. I saw a number of times where he missed guys 
that were open, um, either whether it be the lob or a kick out weak side to like uh, Wayne Ellington was open a couple times. We'll see if he can work on that. Still getting in, into the swing of things, but he's got that first pitch down really well, and he's just got to be able to throw those change ups and, and those curveballs based on how the defense is guarding him. I also loved, I mean, like, when was the last time we saw guys like Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk dribbling into just pull-up threes? That That is not something Alex Caruso was doing. That's not something KCP was really doing. This is just a new type of dynamic bench role player, or maybe starting role player type of dudes. Um, that's really encouraging. Again, we hopefully their job, when everyone's healthy, isn't to be doing all of all, all this much, but... As catch-and-shoot options, they're good. And then when you need them to, having that as an option is fantastic. And then the last thing that really stood out is just Wayne Ellington's quick release. Like, he he's getting shots up. His his body's contorting. He's, he's you know, catch-and-shoot really, really quickly. And in a way where, like, he's comfortable enough taking those and they go in at a high enough rate where you can run the same play for him 100 times and for somebody else 100 times. And there's going to be a solid 10 or 15 times where he's going to get a shot off in a position where the other Laker player, we'll just say KCP from last year, wasn't taking that shot. He doesn't think he's open. He's not, he's not feeling comfortable with his body contorting that way, getting the shot up because he knows he'll, it'll be contested or he doesn't feel good about it going in. Ellington's going to let it fly. And just the, the ability to have higher volume, from the actions you run for him is really, really good. Um, it doesn't need to be the perfect situation for him to feel comfortable taking a three, which is how we saw a lot of the Lakers uh, shooters in quotations from last season play. He's, he's much more of a dynamic shooter and really just a bona fide, bona fide three point guy that I'm really, really excited about. So those are some individual player things moving at the team level. I, one theme I saw was that the team used their shooting really strongly. Uh, whether it be like from that first play of the game using Baysmore and Nunn as three-point shooters um, or like Wayne Ellington, they used him in floppy action where he's running along the baseline and, and rising up to the wing to catch and shoot. Uh, we saw some quick pin downs for him just off a make or a miss. If the Lakers are dribbling down and, and Ellington's, you know, just kind of running, filling the lane, he'll quickly get a, a little pin down screen, a little tight pin uh, right around the top of the key from AD or DeAndre Jordan or Dwight Howard or whoever, and just run up to the very top of the key, catch and shoot really quickly. Just easy, instant offense. I also enjoyed seeing, uh, I mean, there was there was one play where we saw Rajon Rondo win at point guard. Uh, Malik Monk, you know, ran a dribble handoff to him. And then right after that, Monk got a back screen from Anthony Davis that if the screen was good, we were going to see a highlight Malik Monk lob dunk play. This this was a designed, drawn-up lob play for Malik Monk. The screen wasn't good, so it didn't work. But as that was happening, we also saw a THT Wayne Ellington exit screen happening on the opposite side of the court in the corner simultaneously. So if you were to stop that lob to Malik Monk, that's going to be from the opposite, you know, opposite help defender sinking over. And if that were to be the case that corner shot for Ellington would be wide open. And and so just using shooting really well, using multiple actions at the same time. We saw this several times in game one. Uh, only one data point. We need more of a sample to really call it a trend or know that it's sticking. But that is just the caliber of stuff that we didn't see all that much of last season. 
I'd also say that the team used their lack of shooting well. Like THT on that last play that I talked about being the one setting the screen for Wayne, Wayne Ellington. You know, if he's just standing out there standing still, maybe you don't respect his shooting. Maybe he's he is the kick out and he's left open and you just hope he can make something of it. But by using his lack of shooting more as an asset than a liability and having him set screens and move around, that, you know, negates and mitigates the negative impact he could potentially have as a floor spacer. So that shows me awareness and it shows me intentionality and the aptitude from the Lakers scheming, you know, standpoint where they're making the most of these guys. And it's not like, oh, I'm THT. I can't go set a screen like he's these guys are bought in. Uh, we, We saw the same with DeAndre Jordan. We, uh, you know, just those exit screens or things like that, where these guys are kind of standing around, you know, their man says, all right, this this guy's not a threat. I'm going to sag off of him a little bit. I'm going to go try to help. And then suddenly they're setting a screen and you're out of position to help defend that screen. So just using shooting well, using a lack of shooting well, absolutely loved it. And something we talked about over the off season was we would like to see this offensive, uh, so to see this coaching staff add another offensive mind. And there were three guys in particular I brought up. I said, you know, Mike Wiener, who was with the Mavs under Carlisle. Now he's in Indiana. He'd be someone to go after. Or Mike Young, who was in Phoenix, put on a masterclass during the playoffs in the regular season. He'd be somebody to go grab. Or David Adelman was my top option. He was the Denver offensive coordinator. He'd be somebody to go grab. The Lakers didn't grab any of them. They (laughs) went after David Fisdale. They promoted Mike Penberthy. Uh from shooting coach to a, a larger role, probably having something to do with the X's and O's. Um, and there were some moves around the margins with their like assistance to the assistants, some like practice bodies and things like that, or scouts. But we didn't see them bring in a high caliber name or somebody with a resume that to me, at least from the outside looking in, seeing what they've done in the past really shouted like, Hey, this is somebody that's going to help fix these issues and make the most of these players offensively. And it's so far, it's looking good. Um, We didn't get Mike Wiener brought in as the offensive coordinator, but we did see some of his staple actions utilized in this first game with uh, attacks leading up to and after, after ball screen. So uh, a veer action veer is, is the, the terminology which is uh, you, you set a, uh, a ball screen and then the screener then goes and sets a off ball screen for somebody else. We saw Veer uh, used several times this Veer action where there'd be a ball screen and then like AD would, as the screener, instead of rolling or popping, he would then go set a pin down screen for like Wayne Ellington. Um, we saw that on one play. On the very next play, we saw the same thing, but with a fake um, where we saw AD slip that screen he was setting for Ellington after setting the ball screen and the Lakers had designed it up. So there was an empty side of the court there. So 80 was slipping. There was going to be no tag. He was just rolling in free space. His guy got into his body and, and tried to try to stay with him and had to foul him. But otherwise that was going to be a lob dunk, just really, really smart play calling play after play, the kind of pick and roll specific actions and play sequencing that, is what I was hoping to get from bringing in a guy like Mike Wiener. We we just saw that, you know, like didn't have him, but his concepts were being used. So that was really cool. Um, Numerous times in that first game, we saw Ram action screens for the pick and roll screener, meaning if Anthony Davis is going to go set a ball screen for THT at the top of the key, and he's starting at the block, instead of him just running up to go set that screen, 
somebody's going to go screen his man. Somebody's going to go put a body on Anthony Davis's man, usually a guard. And then Anthony Davis with his man out of position is then going to go set a ball screen. And that's going to remove a potential hedge and let your ball screener get downhill. The, the Lakers use this the very first play of the game and they use this several more times after that. We also saw numerous times where as a ball screen was happening, one of those exit screens was happening weak side. Um, often, you know, combined with that Ram action, the guy who's setting the down screen for the screener then receives the exit screen. Because that's, that's a way to get a guard in position where he's around the block to then run out to the corner. So I, I, I'm getting a little bit in the weeds here, but this is just really smart, really smart stuff. And it was used with a volume, even though it's just one game, that meant it was, you know, it looked meaningful to me. And it was what I was hoping to get out of bringing in someone like that. And the Lakers just seemed to have, you know, learned those things and used it themselves. We saw that the Lakers didn't get Mike Young from Phoenix. And one of the big things that Mike Young used in Phoenix that I was really, or I'm sorry, Kevin Young, not Mike Young. I keep saying Mike Young. Kevin Young from Phoenix, their offensive coordinator. Something he used a bunch in the playoffs, even against the Lakers, was a Spain or stack ball screen uh, where after a ball screen happens, so AD setting a screen for THT, and then somebody's going to go set a screen on the back of AD's guy so he can get uh, you know a little roll to the rim without his, his man in position. Um, we saw that happen once. It was only once. I'm going to see this explored more. There are other variants you want to run off of this. If you only run it the one way, it's not going to be as effective. And it's something that doesn't really work if defenses are going under ball screens. So with THT or Russ running this, uh, it's a, it could be iffy. In the regular season, it should probably still be okay most of the time. But working in more of those variants where instead of AD getting a back screen, he is setting a down screen for that player. And it's like a fake back screen. And maybe that guy gets free. Or running the same action, but with the veer option, where instead of AD interacting with that player running up towards him, he then runs over to the wing and sets a pin down screen. So just little things like that. Uh, and, and I guess the Lakers really did use that variant this past game. So that sort of stuff is what Phoenix was doing well. And the play calling with it is really important and calling the right play to beat the right coverage is important. The Lakers did so only on one play. So I don't want to get too excited, but that is flashing to me what I was hoping to see with a Kevin Young potential hire for the Lakers. And then David Adelman was the guy we had a whole podcast about, um, talking about his corner offense, and we wanted to leverage the, the, the high post with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. The Lakers didn't get him, but we did see a ton of similar actions and usage in that same vein in this game. We saw Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, DeAndre Jordan used as I'd call them handoff hubs at the high post, starting at the block or the dunker spot, running up to the high post, getting the ball, and then split cuts happening. And that happened multiple times. Uh, or them getting the ball at the high post and then guys running you know, right off of them and maybe get a handoff back, um, or maybe they fake a handoff and turn the corner. Um, or maybe they're just catching the ball and then, then other actions are helping happening elsewhere on the court. But this was something that we saw a number of times, a really, really high number of times, considering how much AD played. And this is the type of stuff that, like, I was looking with, with David Adelman, looking for with David, David Adelman, and the Lakers have done just on their own. So kudos to whoever's responsible for this. 
we don't quite know yet. None of the names that were brought in the door are like, you know, glaring, like, hey, it was probably this guy. Uh, genuinely, I don't know. I don't know if they're just hearing us complain a bunch um, or they just went out and maybe Frank Vogel did some research or it was a new scout or it was Fizdale or it was Rondo or it was LeBron or I, I have no idea. Maybe it was Penberthy. No clue. All I know is the Lakers, at least in this one game, flashed a lot of the smart concepts and best practices that I was hoping for and that matched this roster. And they were using them well. They were putting the right guys in the right positions to succeed. And I was really excited about it. We, we I mean, all of last season, there was like that one game where the team started using split cuts and we had a little split cut dance party on the pod for a couple of seconds because it was just such an obvious thing that the Lakers should have been using and hadn't used all year, hadn't used the year before, hadn't used the year before that, hadn't used the year before that. This is not something we've seen the Lakers do. And all of a sudden they were doing it. Um, and, and then it stopped. That was the thing. Last year it was that like one game and then it stopped. This year it's one game. Will it continue? That's what matters. These were sloppy, but the intent is there and the execution will get cleaned up. And if this team keeps running split cuts, it's going to make life easier for the post players as scorers because the potential help defense is occupied and it's going to create easy looks for guys. It's going to create easy threes. It's going to create easy uh, cuts to the rim, just easy buckets. I want, I just want garbage buckets left and right. <laughs> Give me cheap stuff. Cause that's how you, you know, win a game even if your like threes aren't falling or even if your stars aren't scoring an iso just get those cheap buckets where you can so we're going to take a quick break and we get when we get back i'm going to talk about some tht stuff i really enjoyed some other themes where the lakers go from here and then dig into the defense that we saw for the day we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we are back. And another item that really excited me was the idea of THT running some high ball screens. And what I thought was really interesting about this was we saw 
on one occasion, and I think we're going to see more of this, where the screen was set so high that if the big man in the screening action is anywhere close to the screen, and THT rejects the screen, and is able to get an angle towards the rim and get any sort of driving lane, he is going to beat the rim protector to the rim. And if that is the case, nobody's blocking THT's shot. So if, if you're out there facing a team that has only one rim protector, which is most teams, you, these high ball screens and then rejecting them, if there's any sort of overplay from the opposing guard, is going to get a lot of good buckets for THT. So I thought that was interesting. Keep an eye on it. Maybe we'll see some more, maybe not, but I, I enjoyed that. In a big theme, I'd say for the day, and, and I mean, there are some other plays I posted on Twitter. You can go and rewatch the game. There was some cool stuff that was happening, but a theme for the day offensively for the Lakers was that guys were used well for their skill sets. The shooters were set up well for shots. The shooters had their gravity used to set up other actions. Drivers were put into sets, getting them chances to attack downhill with rotations already compromised using whatever was happening in the set. Uh, we saw non-shooters, not just, you know, the Lakers just say, eh, we'll deal with it. We'll, we'll you know, see what happens. We'll, we'll try to fight through, work through an extra layer of defense because somebody's helping off of DeAndre Jordan or THT. No, they, they were proactive. They said, we know they don't have great gra gravity, so we are going to give them gravity by using them as screeners. And I thought that was really encouraging and, and really smart. That's a great sign that, you know, helps me see how this team could succeed potentially having a Westbrook AD and a THT out there or Westbrook AD and a DeAndre Jordan or a Dwight Howard having three of those not great three-point shooters or non-existing three-point shooters out there at the same time. This, this is the type of stuff you need to be doing to make that work. And, and help your spacing out. So it's still going to be difficult if you're trying to run too many of those non-shooters at the same time, but this is a great sign. Let's see, lob threats. We're given lob chances. Um, and, and the Lakers were doing this in a way where they were removing tags. So like they said, you know, here's our lob play. Either the lob will be open, or if the lob is not open, it is because the defender who needs to be guarding this open, very good three-point shooter is not guarding that open, very good three-point shooter. So it was making the defense wrong. And I really enjoyed that. We didn't see them executed all that well, but we saw lob sets run with, with cleared out runways for Dwight Howard, DeAndre Jordan, Anthony Davis, and Malik Monk. And I love that. That is going to be great to see, and it's going to energize the crowd and, and going to be some fun basketball. And then we also saw passers in good playmaking spots with their reads streamlined. Like Kendrick Nunn, he's a good shooting guard playmaker. He's not a good point guard playmaker. So if he's out there, same thing with Malik Monk. If they're out there needing to make complex reads, they're going to make some of them. They're going to miss some of them. Putting them in set plays where they know exactly what they're looking for and there are only like two options makes their life really easy. Same thing with THT. So not having Russ and not having AD, or I'm sorry, not having Russ and not having Braun could hurt the offense and it could put a huge burden on other guys and when you don't have good x's and o's that's what helps make or that's what you know hurts the ability for guys to play well and suddenly it's like ah oh, you know dennis Schroeder, you know why do you stink well no it's because you, you can't expect non-superstars to just go make stuff happen you have to be running plays and running smart plays and that's what the lakers did and that's going to help them 
you know, make more of the playmaking talent they do have, even if it's not absolutely elite. So that's that's important. And they did a really good job with that. Now, moving forward, here's what I'm looking for. I want them to, one, keep doing these things. You can't just drop them. You know, we we, we saw this last uh, postseason. We saw this last regular season. We've seen this previous preseasons. If you just stop running split cuts, I'm going to be pissed. Um, we can't take for granted that the team is going to continue doing all these things. And it wasn't just some, you know, random play they pulled out of a playbook and they're not going to run it again. Hopefully we keep seeing more of these good, smart actions. If that happens, I feel way, way more optimistic. I mean, I'm already pretty bullish on this Lakers team as it is, but if that's the case, it's going to be really hard to stop this team, uh, especially with their half court offense, which is something that is and was and should be a concern for this group. You know, maybe they can play good defense. Maybe they can get out and run the half court offense. If they have any sort of spacing issues, how do they deal with it? And these smart sets leveraging non-shooters in smart ways, these are all things that are going to help them be successful. I also want to see them continue doing all this while integrating LeBron James and Russell Westbrook. Once you include them into the equation, the I think there's a misconception about set plays where it's, oh, well, you shouldn't run sets with Russ or you shouldn't run sets with LeBron because, you know, that uh, it, it makes it harder for them to be them or for, harder for them to make plays or it's too rigid. That's not that's not how things work past freaking middle school basketball. We're not we're not saying, hey, go run a box. And LeBron, you're going to go set two screens. It's, you know, we're running sets or you should be running sets to get your best players doing what they're good at and in a way where it should be easier for them. Like THT, he's someone we like to get downhill. Same thing with Russell Westbrook. Go throw Russ into all of those sets. We had THT running this this game and Russ is going to get to the room even more than he already does. That sort of stuff is just, it's helpful. If you're doing it right, and if you're running smart X's and O's, it's helpful even with the stars. So I want to see that continue. I don't want to see the Lakers just say, all right, time to go play pickup basketball now that we have our stars back. That's not the best way to make them the most out of all these guys. I also want to see on a larger sample size against other teams running different coverages, I want to see attacks and concepts with purpose. If they're running drop coverage, run stuff that beats drop coverage. If they're switching, run stuff that beats switching. We saw this team running stuff in this game that beats switching. Where, uh, for example, um, let me think of the play. So uh, having like a guard guard or a guard wing ball screen where like THT is setting a screen for Malik Monk. Most teams, if it's guard guard, they're just going to switch it. If that is happening at the wing, as you're you're dribbling from the wing towards the middle of the, the court, that screener now has their new man. If they turn and seal them, they have that new man on their back and using that seal and slip then to the rim is something that like I literally have built into my playbook in, in the teams I work with playbook uh, where I'm, you know, my coaching playbook. And then is something we saw the Lakers use to beat a switching defense from the nets yesterday. It wasn't fully there. Um, they were getting the slips, but then they had some clogged paint issues, so they couldn't quite get the ball to those guys. But if they can find way, whether it's a hammer screen on the weak side or just five out or, or finding ways to uh, take those players out of the paint, those slips versus switching defense are going to be there. But they have to find stuff on, you know, how, we're, how are we going to beat blitzes? How are we going to beat showing and recovering? How are we going to beat drop coverage? How are we going to beat catch hedges? That's how you need to organize your playbook to make the most of it. 
And when you do so, you're not just running plays because they work. You know why they're working and you're running the right plays at the right times to make the most out of them. I also want to see the team kind of build off of what we've seen so far. For example, that, that switching and slipping, um, that, I mean, the, I'm sorry, the seal slip against the switching. That's one example, the, uh, Spain or stack action variants. I talked about earlier building the, the other variants into the playbook. That's another example. Um, so just, just build on what you've started with. Of course you want to clean up execution. Uh, another thing is we haven't really seen any high volume posting up yet, but I'm assuming once we do that, we're going to see teams start double teaming the Lakers the same way they did last year. So got to be ready. Got to have the right counters built in. We also need to see the team develop some concepts on how to beat defenses going under ball screens. Didn't really see anything from that for, for this first game. The Lakers didn't really have much for it last season. They're going to see a lot of that. They're going to see some of it in the regular season and especially in the playoffs against Russell Westbrook in THT when they have the ball in their hands. How do you counter that? We don't know how the Lakers are going to do it. I know what I have in my playbook and, and what I play call, but we need to see how the Lakers are going to approach this. And then I also want to see how the Lakers are going to use LeBron James and Russell Westbrook as screeners, probably for each other a good number of times, because I think those each open up different things that could be really helpful for this offense. So that is another concept that I, I do think we need to see utilized that we haven't, I mean, we just didn't get a chance to see yet. Overall, I am really pleased. We, you know, going into this year, the Lakers had some demons. They, they had some stuff from last year that was really making life difficult for their offense. And they didn't just exercise those demons in this game. They freaking throw, threw those demons in a dumpster and lit it on fire. And again, it's just one game. We need to see them sustain this and build on this, but so far so good. Now that's the offense. Happy about the offense. Defensively, what I was looking for in this game are really like, you know, what are these teams? What is this team's principles? How are they different from last year? What are the scheme coverages, the, the, the screen coverages, the teams running for on ball screens, off ball screens? What does that look like? And then who is executing those in terms of what the team's principles are when it comes to ball screens? We saw a couple things and I liked pretty much all of it. Um, we saw the team play drop coverage with their no man behind variant often where the big man, whether it's AD or Dwight Howard or DeAndre Jordan, they're in a drop. They're not at the level of the screen. They're not a step or two below the level of the screen like they were last year. They are in a drop. They are below the level of the screen by like three or more steps. And they are their job is to take away the rim. And if the roll man is rolling hard, they stay as low as they need to to not let either the roll man or the ball handler get behind them. And you're relying on good back pressure from the guard defender in the action to recover and make life difficult. And what's important with this coverage, too, is if there's a, a pick and roll ball handler dribbling down the lane and they rise for a mid-range shot, which is what you're hoping to give up with this, that big man oftentimes will end up contesting it. And when they contest it, the roll man ends up being open. And if you're the guard defender in the action, you can't just kind of watch this happen. You have to peel off of guarding the ball handler because they're taken they're, they're being contested and then you have to put a body on that roll man and make sure that they can't get a lob thrown to them can't get an offensive rebound you just got to get into their legs get into their body you don't have to be a big to to be effective with this we've seen very short players be very effective with good technique here and 
that is just something we're going to have to watch for this year. Some of the Lakers players did really well with it. Uh, one in particular didn't do so well with it, um, but that's going to be really important. Another thing to watch for, and, and a big difference between this pick and roll coverage and what the Lakers did last year, is you don't need to rotate with your other three players. Like, go watch these these pick and roll plays for the Nets yesterday and watch the three off-ball defenders. They're not tag and rollers. They're not rotating. They're chilling. They, they're just sticking with their guys. There are going to be no open kick-out corner threes or anything because these guys are just there already. Um, if there's a pick and pop, you have some rotating responsibilities, but on a pick and roll, there's nothing. You know, just just keep doing what you're doing. And that makes life easier for THT. That makes life easier for any other defenders who, from a rotational standpoint, aren't as strong as we'd like them to be. This was the case in 2019-2020 when the Lakers ran this uh, pick-and-roll coverage, and it really helped those guys out from a, a garden wing standpoint. And last season, it really would have helped out THT and Dennis Schroeder, who each struggled a bit when it came to those rotations. So Dennis Schroeder in this game would have looked like a much better defender. Um that's all I'll say. So th- this was this was nice. Uh, we did see a few open pops from it, but those were on the single side. So like, if there's a pop going to the left wing and you've got one offensive player on the left side of the court and they're in the corner, that one defender, you know, one guy versus two players, especially if they're spaced out a bit, that's that's hard to do. And you're gonna stick with the corner shooter more than you're gonna stick with the big man who's popping to an above the break three. So I don't really mind that all that much, but if they're popping to a double side where there are two defenders and you can kind of rotate over and, and zone up three offensive players with two defenders, the Lakers did a good job with that. And, and I was pleased with their rotation. So I was pretty happy there. We saw the team switch some ball screens, uh, particularly particularly with Anthony Davis playing the center, but they did this with Dwight and DeAndre Jordan as well. We saw them switch if you tried to string out any of these drops at all. Um, if, if you were patient and you penetrated and retreated a little bit, the Lakers switched, they weren't going to give you up, give up an open shot. They were going to keep a body on a body and, you know, deal with it from there. This at times created some situations where there were post mismatches, but the Lakers did what they could with double teaming from the high side. Um, when that did happen, when someone did get the ball and before the catch, they did a pretty good job of either trying to switch out of it or, fronting that post and forcing a a pass into the post to be a lob pass over the top and then having someone from the weak side try to sit on that and and try to pick it off or disrupt it or wall up and double team the offensive player if they were to catch the lob so the lakers are still very smart when it comes to defense and what i love about the switching scheme is they're not automatically switching everything like you'll watch teams and if two offensive players get close to each other boom switch Um, the Lakers aren't switching until they need to switch. And that is an important differentiation here because if you're just giving up switches willy nilly, that is giving up an advantage for no reason. You only want to have to switch when you need to switch. And that is what the Lakers are doing. When you, when you string it out enough that you can't quite recover, all right, we're going to switch and that's fine. And, and I enjoyed that. We're going to see, you know, these bigs are going to be under a little bit of pressure this year. Uh, but I, I don't mind this. And a switching scheme, assuming there isn't a breakdown, there's just a switch, is another example of when you don't need the three off-ball players to be rotating. So another, an- yet another time where the Lakers are mitigating 
the number of times they're asking guys like THT to need to sync or fill or tag a roller or things like that. Let's see what else. We also saw the Lakers ice side ball screens, meaning if you had the ball at the left wing and you were trying to drive towards the middle with the, with the screener coming towards you and, and getting you a lane towards the middle, the Lakers would try to force that to go down the sideline instead of getting to the middle instead. This is good. They executed it well, and I and I liked what I saw there. With inverted ball screens, we only saw, I think I, think I only saw one. There might have been two where a big man had the ball and a guard was setting a screen. The Lakers were showing and recovering on that, so we saw Kendrick Nunn step out, step out and get in the way of the big man so he couldn't turn the corner and then recover to their guard as, as the Laker big was able to fight around the screen. So that's fine. And so from a coverage standpoint, that's what we saw. From an execution standpoint, I was actually pretty happy. I mean, offensively, the team has a lot of room to grow, uh, but they're also they're already flashing some really good stuff. Defensively, the coverages were smart, and the execution for most guys looked really well, really, really good. Um, one example of a sequence I really enjoyed, and I tweeted out a video of, was just like, a, it was like the Lakers had one brain where, uh, what was it? It was THT was chasing Bruce Brown around a screen, and he reacted with perfect timing. He got around the screen. He fought around it. There was a down screen into a dribble handoff. So he was, he was you know, fought through two things, was right in Brown's pocket. And then DeAndre Jordan, who was dropping, uh, contested. You know, he stepped up to contest and take away the shot from Bruce Brown. And that led to his man being open. But THT read that well and peeled off and was able to take away that potential, you know, dump off to, to uh, DeAndre Jordan's man. And then also as he was driving middle, we saw Kent Bazemore stunt to harass Brown and really force him to pick up his dribble. Um, Bazemore did this a number of times. We saw other players do this, and this is going to cause turnovers. We saw Bazemore get one steal from it. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to force that offensive player to either reroute or pick up their dribble or just be harassed and be less effective. So we saw that on this play. And that meant, you know, he, he stunted pretty hard, meaning his man ended up being open because because he was stepping over from the, the wing to the basically the free throw line and lunging at the offensive player. He couldn't recover to his own man in time. But when that pass went over there, we saw Kendrick Dunn perfect timing come from the corner up to the wing and take away the open three point shot. And then Kent Bazemore, instead of recovering to his own man and putting two Lakers on one offensive player, he then took over for Kent Bazemore's, or I'm sorry, uh, Kendrick Nunn's guy. So just perfect. You, everyone was synchronized almost. Uh, there were never two guys on one offensive player. They understood when to rotate. And then when somebody, you know, when a teammate was rotating, what that meant for them. I loved it. I, I thought it was great. Uh, just, just really, really happy with that. On an individual level, I thought THT did a great job at the point of attack. We saw him play one of the game, point of attack defender. Um, he rotated mostly well. He had a few of his uh, ball-watching moments where he lost his own man, but rotated pretty well. He was awesome defending off-ball screens. Um, I will say, if he's playing any, playing any small forward, he is going to need to start boxing out more, or he's going to get beat by Kyle Kuzma types of guys who like to crash the boards, because he did not try to box out at all and, and got beat a few times. I was encouraged seeing him uh, switched onto Nicholas Claxton a few times. He was like bodying him. He's like, I mean, Claxton's bigger than him, but he, 
you know, he was right there with him physically. And, and that was encouraging. And that bodes well for the success of him being able to switch more and more moving forward, even as he slimmed down a bit. And then there was uh, one time as a chaser with his man catching off of a down screen and then into the down screen, then into the dribble handoff. So that, that Chicago action where THT was in his guy's pocket and on the shot, both he and Dwight ended up contesting uh, a layup. And I thought it was really interesting that like I, I froze the screen and I was looking and I was like, wow, Dwight Howard in position, jumping straight up. He's a tall dude. His level of contest, like the height he was able to get was the same as THT from behind the offensive player with his length and the contest he was able to make. So it was like, maybe this team needs to just start not helping THT because uh, he's he's got it covered pretty well. So that was really cool. That shot was not going in. Um, and, and he's just such a super disruptive defender. Kendrick Nunn, I thought, rotated pretty well. Uh, there was once on a baseline out of bounds play. He was zoning up two offensive players and was late to react. But for the most part, he defended really well. He was good in chaser situations, navigated on ball screens well. I thought we saw him a few times in 1v1 situations, even not as an imposing physical guy, you know, be have a good low center of gravity and still be able to get tight contests and do so do so without fouling when offensive players were trying to bump him off. When Ellington rotated well, he was solid with his chaser defense. He got beat once at the point of attack. Staying in front isn't his strongest suit, but as an off-ball guy, he was pretty solid. Rajon Rondo didn't play a whole lot, but he had very active hands, active feet. He did a good job of being where he needed to be. Uh, we saw him once peel off well to box out uh, as he was kind of chasing his guy around a screen. He he peeled off to take Dwight Howard's man as Dwight stepped up to contest the shot. So another example, and we saw this up and down the roster. This is what you will need to do this year with the sc screen coverage they're running. And Rondo checked the box for, you know, executing that peel off screen. Dwight did pretty a, a pretty good job. You can, you know, just like watching the film, you can obviously tell that offensive players are having a much harder shot. They're much more bothered when Dwight is contesting them than like Marcus Saul or Montrose Harrell or Andre Drummond were this past season. Um, so it is just a nice refreshing, you know, this is a real shot blocker we've got in here and he's going to disrupt things. It just makes me feel pretty, pretty good. He uh, got in some foul trouble. It's going to happen at times. He was very physical throughout. Um, he was pretty active on the perimeter when defending Brooklyn's bigs. I, I noticed the Nets used a lot of delay sets where they would pass the ball to their center at the top of the key and then have actions on each side of him. And a key piece of that is that entry to that big man. And Dwight did a really good job of making that pass a hard pass, making it happen further out than the Nets would like it to be. And then once LaMarcus Aldridge or whoever it was caught that ball, Dwight was in their face, he was in the passing lanes, and he made it more difficult to get those pinpoint passes made on time and on target. So I thought that was really encouraging from him. We saw Austin Reeves a bit. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not anticipating he's into the regular rotation all that much, but he flashed some interesting things. Um, defensively, positionally, he was good. He rotated well. He was good with those peel-offs we talked about. He boxed out like a menace. Um, he was really getting into it. He, he was physical with a couple dudes. Uh, he did it at a high frequency. Um, I was really pleased with that. There was one play where Malik Monk's guy crashed to the rim, but he was just kind of ball watching. He was just watching the shot go up and Reeves 
found someone else's man because his man wasn't crashing, but he saw Monk's guy was crashing. So he went over and put a body on him. Uh, I was really happy with that. I will say he struggled navigating screens. Um, his on-ball defense was good, but but navigating around on and off-ball screens, not as hot. It, it's a technique thing. Right now he doesn't have it down. It's certainly fixable, but without really knowing that the Lakers are working on it, it's hard to know if and when we should expect improvement by like a certain time. So we'll keep an eye on that. I don't know that it's going to be big high impact because I don't think he's going to be playing all that much this year, but it's always good to have another guy off the bench. You can trust to like play defense and, and do what they need to do offensively. So he's, he's getting there. He's got some room to grow, but he's getting there and he's certainly out there competing. There was one time he got completely lost on a rotation. Um, the Lakers ice to side ball screen and, Part of that defense, too, is when you do that, you're going to give up short rolls a little bit. So what the Lakers did was Kendrick Nunn sunk in from the opposite wing and took away the short roll. And Reeves needed to zone up some guys on the weak side, but didn't do a great job there. And just completely lost his depth and and responsibility to take away what he was supposed to take away. But other than that, Reeves was encouraging. It was was a good first game for him. At least, on, I guess I should say on the defensive end of the court. I don't. I have no idea what he shot on the offensive side. Uh, let's see. Two more guys I wanted to point out. Bazemore was very active in his very, uh, you know, gambling kind of way. This is this is Vegas Bays basically. He's he's out there rolling the dice, play after play. Um, he was very active, stunting. He, I mean, he's gonna lose his man every now and then. He gave up an offensive rebound from his guy crashing without him boxing out. Uh, he once stunted at a guy he had no business really helping on. It was an overhelp, gave up an open three because of it. But on those stunts, he was also disruptive. And then once he got a steal and a run out because of it. So Vegas Bays, you got to take the good with the bad, but overall pretty, pretty solid. Um, he was flying into passing lanes, you know, arms flailing around, jumping passing lanes. Sometimes he was late. And when he was late, he was out of position. And his man basically had a bad closeout to attack. And speaking of bad closeouts, he did have some aggressive bad closeouts. Um, so Bazemore, very active, but he needs to rein it in just a little bit and clean up some of the technique um, because he is giving the offense advantages out of nothing at times when he doesn't need to be. Just because he's overhelping and then trying to recover and recovering too out of control, that's going to you know be problemsome. Uh, he was pretty solid off ball defending actions um, like off screen stuff. He, he anticipates really well. He'll like top lock or get into the screen just as you are not too far ahead of time. So you can reject it, but like doing a, doing some good work uh, getting where he needs to get. And then the last guy, and I, this was, this was the one Lakers player who just left and right defensively was making mistakes. And it's so hard to notice live. And I, I'm just thinking about how crappy of a year this is probably going to be for me being someone who's like noticing this. And like, I'm going to point this stuff out for everybody when I'm seeing it. Um, Malik Monk struggled on the defensive end of the court and it is so hard to notice it watching live. And because of that, we're going to see, I mean, he had an awesome offensive game and very, like very rightfully so. And I don't want to be the Debbie Downer on Malik Monk all year, but these defensive things are things that Frank Vogel is going to see and is seeing and are continuations upon trends from Charlotte. This isn't new stuff. This isn't me making things up. This is, even though it's a small sample, it's, it's him doing the same stuff he was doing in the past. Um, and 
once everyone's healthy, we'll see what this rotation looks like. But these, there was, uh, there were enough issues defensively with Monk that I, I do think he needs to start cleaning things up, or it's going to impact his playing time probably. Knowing Frank Vogel, he uh, so let's start with the good. He stunted well. We saw him use his athleticism to get into passing lanes. He he picked the ball off once. There was once he even completely lost his man like he was ball watching he was screened on a, on a hammer flare screen uh but he was still able to like jump and get an arm on the ball as it was being passed you know trying to be passed over his head so that was like damn this guy can you know you know on the offensive end we know he can jump on the defensive end he's gonna get in there mix it up can get some rebounds but then also use that to play passing lanes well he was the only laker that wasn't executing their peelback switches with consistency. Um, whether it was an on-ball screen or an off-ball screen, when his man gets the ball and is driving middle and the big steps up, the rim protector steps up to uh, contest, Monk is just kind of watching. He's not in the rearview mirror of the scorer. He's not peeling off to take away the offensive rebound or dump off or lob to Dwight Howard or AD or DeAndre Jordan's man. He was just watching. So that needs to be fixed. That's super, super fixable. But this is something, this is a bad habit of his and is something he needs to improve upon. There was one time he did do it. He was like one for five in this game uh, with this. The one time he did do it late second quarter, he got a strip off of it. LA ended up scoring on the other end. And like, it's, it's simple. It's not all that hard. It doesn't take a ton ton of effort, a ton of IQ. It's just, you got to get it done. And when it when he did it, it worked, and the Lakers got a bucket off of it. So that's just you know an example of the impact it can have. And there will be times where we see a ball screen and a lob, and and Mark Jackson is going to say, oh well, you know the big man should have had more effort to break up a lob, even though it was you know six feet behind him. That is going to be the type of play where Malik Monk not peeling off and and switching and taking away that lob play or getting into the big man's legs or from an offensive rebounding standpoint doesn't do a good job. He's going to make others look bad because he's not doing his job. And it's hard to notice watching live. He also struggled with his off ball angles. Um, when I was reviewing his Charlotte film, I, I pulled this up to check. I gave him a D plus when it came to his off screen angles. So at some points, like if you're rounding a corner, he'll kind of very loosely around that corner and, and really kind of lose his momentum and then have to get started again. We saw that a bit uh, with him in this game his grade for the overall off-ball chaser defense that I gave him from Charlotte was a D and and we did see a handful of, of buckets and poor recoveries or poor efforts or just not peel, peeling back into that switch. Um, Got to clean that up. He was the one guy that was involved in a number of off-ball switches or just guys exchanging or different things where we saw two Lakers on one offensive player last season with Schroeder and THT, we saw this a lot, where it's one guy that keeps being in every mistake with other teammates. So it's like, oh, you know, what's the theme here? It's it's THT. This game, and it, again, it's one game. This this could be fixed tomorrow, and, and we won't have to talk about it again. But at least in this game, I'm sure the coaches are pointing out in film, hey, man, you were the one guy that was part of all of these instances where there were two Lakers on one offensive player and somebody was wide open. Uh, I guess among the more like head scratching things, there were a, there was one time he gave up an open three point attempt just because he was kind of slowly working his way out to his man on a closeout instead of having any sort of effort. 
uh, once he got back cut and just kind of gave up and let his guy get an offensive rebound in a new possession. Um, there was once where on a free throw, the Nets got an offensive rebound and Monk allowed the Nets to have a four on five or a five on four for like four or five different seconds um, before he was able to get back and get into the play. Um, those are the types of things that like, that's just effort and you, you got to be where you, you just have to be part of the defense. You, you can't be uh, just, you know, out there doing your own thing. We saw one really bad closeout from him, just giving up a really poor driving angle, but again, all fixable. It's just one game. It's a continuation on, on some stuff from last year, which is why I'm more concerned about it. And I mean, I just listed off like 10 different things he did and I don't know how many minutes he played. I'd have to pull up the box score, but uh, we need to see this cleaned up. It's not, you know, the, the, the biggest red flag in the world. Um, it's not going to kill this team's chances at the title or anything, but it could hurt Monk's ability to play. And there are going to be games where like, people are saying, why isn't he playing? He's a good, you know, microwave scorer. He's, he's going to score on the offensive end. It's going to be because of this defense. So that's the starting point. It is just a starting point, And that doesn't need to like, that doesn't mean it needs to be this way tomorrow or next game or a week from now or a month from now. So rooting for him. And, and I want to see Malik Monk step up and I'm anticipating the Lakers coaching staff is, you know, getting into him and letting him know this is, these are the things you need to clean up. And hopefully we can see him do so and be just a, a whole new caliber of defensive player. Even if he's just, you know, average on the defensive end with what he brings offensively, he's going to be a big piece of this team. If, if his defense can keep him on the court or, or his defense isn't poor enough to keep him off the court. Um, and he's going to be such a bargain for the Lakers at the minimum. So pleased with that. Um, and got to make some fixes there, but, but that is how things are looking for Malik Monk. Now I got a bunch of questions that I was planning to answer, but we are already over an hour. So I am going to cut this one off. I'm going to record a second pod later, maybe tomorrow, answer those other questions and have that up. Um, but lots of great questions from the discord and from Twitter that I will get to soon, but big picture game one, you know, out of the way, preseason game one out of the way. I'm excited to see Braun play. Excited to see Russ play Mello and Ariza, see how that integrates with everybody else. But offensively, I'm pleasantly surprised and hopeful. But at the same time, you know, <laughs> I'm, I've been hurt before with the Lakers doing exciting things and then stopping doing them. So hopefully they continue it. And then on the defensive side of things, we saw everything I was hoping to see. And we saw all the, the X's and O's scheme changes that I had talked about from like the the first week of free agency when the lakers were making these changes it was pretty clear for to me at least that this we're going to see more switching and we're going to be seeing it we're going to be seeing that no man behind drop coverage again and that is exactly what we're seeing so happy that the lakers are optimizing as well on both ends of the court that is all for today until next time i have been cranges make basketball and this is the lakers exceptionalism pod Actually, we're going to do one. We'll take one question. And this is a good one. It's from Vinit Patel on Twitter. And he asks, what are some counters the Lakers can employ if and when other teams go under ball screens? This is a great question. It is not something the Lakers need to have the perfect answer to today or this week. But they will need to have a good answer to it by time by the time they get to the playoffs. Because teams will go under Russell Westbrook screens a lot. 
and we were going to see the same thing with THT screens. So, I mean, the, the easiest thing to do if defenses go under ball screens is pull up. Now, if that's a pull up three and you're not a good three, pull up three point shooter, that is not great offense. <laughs> if you're LeBron James and you're going to shoot 40% on those or 38% or whatever he did last year, which was very good, I think it was actually 39, uh, that's good offense. But for Ross and THT, that's not the best. Now, there are a number of things you can do. I'm going to list out a couple. I'll see how many I remember, but picking and popping is certainly an option. This is why I was hoping the Lakers would retain Gasol or somebody like Gasol to be able to partner with Russell Westbrook and pick and pop and get open shots. Because if you are playing drop coverage and going under the screen, that's a lot of ground for either of those two guys to recover to a pick and pop option. So that is something uh, if you use deeper ball screens, so like if the pull-up is what what's open, but you're running ball screens at the elbow instead of the three-point line, that's a pull-up two instead of a pull-up three. So if those are shots you're comfortable with, that is something you can do. If you want to get even closer, you can run logo ball screens, which is if, if you think about an NBA court, there's often a logo around the short corner, um, just outside the block, but towards the baseline. If the ball handler starts there and receives a ball screen, it's super, super close to the rim. You're going to be able to get pretty much a floater or, or maybe even get to the rim and dunk the ball if the defense tries to go under that. And that's close enough to the rim that your roll man is a very much an option, um, potentially, because there's no chance for a third defender get, to get in there and try to take away a roll with a tag. So depending on how the defense plays you, if they go under, you just get to the rim or you take that easy floater. If they go over the screen uh, and the big man isn't stepping up, you, you get to the rim. If the big man does step up, you throw the lob. Those, those are the options there. Another thing you can do is set up your pick and roll. You know, Do things with uh, dribble handoffs involved or down screens before the ball screen. Do different things to either disguise or set up the screen, the, the defender, so that they're not in a position to go under. Like If you're having someone come off an AI Allen Iverson cut, then right into a ball screen, the defender might be a little bit confused and not be able to execute the way they're hoping to. Uh, you can also, let's say you're running a ball screen, the defense goes under, then have Russell Westbrook dribble into a like dribble pitch or dribble handoff with somebody else and take that player going under the screen who's trying to go under to defend the rim and, and he's not respecting your shot, make him wrong, make him out of position for you handing off to another player who does have a good shot, that who does you know, is able to take advantage of a pull-up three in a 2v1 situation. So go from that ball screen right into that dribble handoff. Another thing you can do, and another thing I enjoy doing, is set a double or big or twin or however you want to call it ball screens where you have two screeners standing next to each other. Not in front and behind each other, but next to each other. So it's like a super wide screen. And that is going to make it more challenging for the, the player to go under. They've got more ground to go under and can create a lot of confusing situations. Um, you might have instances with that where you've got some good pick and pop options available or roles get lost in the, the mess of things. But just trying that and seeing how defenses play it is going to be like that is just something you should try to do and just just see how it works and if it works, because that's something I've had success with and I would recommend giving a try. So that was, what, six, seven, five, five or six? I think six different things that I listed. Those are just some options. Give them a try. Um, see what works for this roster with these guys. And 
and roll with it. But you want to have options. You can't go into the playoffs not having ever tried any of these. You want to have tried four or five of them and then pick the ones that you think will work best in the playoffs. All right, we're going too long. That's the only question I'm answering. Uh, Until next time, this has been the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast.